previously on Something Who. Welcome to the podcast where we take something old, a Doctor Who story from the original series, compare it with something new, one from the new series, and add something borrowed, that sketch, to make Something Who. Hello, I'm Richard and we're back with Something Who podcast where we discuss a couple of Doctor Who stories that take place on giant spaceships. So first we're going to look at 5th Doctor story for to Doomsday from season 19 and after that we'll examine 11th Doctor movie style caper Dinosaurs on a Spaceship from the first half of series 7. And with me to decide whether these stories are sleek star cruisers or intergalactic rust buckets, we have replicated our original lineup, starting with writer, raconteur and missing episodes expert Paul. Good evening. Hi, Paul. Good evening. <laughs> What a delight it is to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you yeah. back on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long wait, hasn't it? I've been away for years, I think. <laughs> uh, Certainly months. Something, I was going to say something about giant spaceships, but it's now escaped me. Have we done Terminus? No. Right. No. Nope. No. Nope. Nope. But Fort of Doomsday is a better fit, so as you were. Yeah. Yeah, um, my, my brain... Oh, we could, we could do... Ter- next time we can do... Terminus and Flux for the big giant dog. Oh, yes, giant um, dogs, brilliant. There's, there's finally oh, a big fantastic. giant dog connection. <laughs> Marvellous. And next up, and you've already heard him, is science and astronomy writer Giles. Hello, there I go, buzzing in. Yeah, you don't get rid of me so easily, but it's still been a while. Yes, yes, yeah, I mean, it, it's not easy, I guess, fitting this in amongst everything else that everyone's doing, but uh, glad you're able to make it tonight. Me too. And finally... Coaxed out of retirement and returning to something who for the first time since 2020. Oh, it's Simon. Back. Thanks for thanks for inviting hey. me on, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've missed your your sensible approach. You know, the the voice of reason. <laughs> of the, missed the, that. Yeah. <laughs> you should see where we've ended up three years later. Oh. So yeah, excellent to hear what you what you have to say about these two. <laughs> what me and Giles. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to know. Um, well, I call, call you three the experts. I'm a, I'm an armchair fan, and a and a cynic. <laughs> oh goodness me! There are no ex. Yeah. Dinosaurs on a Spaceship by Chris Chibnall and directed by Saul Metstein. I think it's about the third time I've failed to bother to find out how he's pronounced it. It could well be Metstein anyway. Scottish chap, I think. It's uh, September 2012 and we're in Series 7A. We've got the promise of a movie every week. So after Asylum of the Daleks, here comes an outing for Chris Chibnall, which I suppose is his... This is his second one for for Matt Smith after the Zillorian thingy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And you do the Tenant one as well. He's got this and the Power of Three yes. in this block. Yeah. And then and then that's it until he until he turns up and takes over. Mm. At this point, he seems to be keen to show us he can do a variety of different styles because I think all of these first three are fairly different, aren't they? At least more different than most uh, who writers. Hmm manage and more but more to the point much more different than he would later produce um when he actually <laughs> had the ability to do what he wanted on his own show anyway mm. i've got a very sad confession at the, 
at your introduction, Richard, you said we were doing a Chibnall story yeah. tonight, and I thought, oh hell, have I watched the wrong? Have I watched the wrong story <laughs> for my preparation? Because uh, dinosaurs on a spaceship was enormous fun. I was thinking, guys, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, thought, I was really happy to come back and talk about it, and then I thought, no, this can't be a Chibnall story. <laughs> well, this is this is good. More positivity. Yeah. And just to just while I'm in a confessional mood, I'd, I'd forgotten who the the main villain was in this, mm. and who voiced the robots. Hmm. <laughs> yes. I was thinking about this this very point that you make. Simon about uh, dinosaurs on a spaceship it feels very it feels quite moffaty yeah you know mm-hmm. in nature it's it, you know it, it, there's there's a lot of stuff going on and, and of course who knows I mean Stephen Moffat may well have had quite a, ha- a hand in it but but then I thought actually it's also a bit like the start of, of resolution because you've you know you've in that you've got this you know suddenly you're in four different places at different times yeah mm. with with those sort of marauding fighters and people in different places and here we've got Egypt and then Indian people in the future and and, mm. and the the plains of Africa in 1902 so I guess it, it feels a bit chibnally but also quite moffaty interesting isn't it that was who I that was just who I assumed had, had, had written it because well, of, you know yeah. getting a getting a gang together and things like that mm. and all the joke the loads of great jokes as well mm. and it, it it's so true isn't it when this era of Doctor Who's good. It's very, very good, and there's not much in between great stories like this and and the you know the real clonkers. But this this one was really good. Lashings lashings of fun with a side order of an excellent villain, really ruthless as well, within all that comedy and great supporting actors as well. So I mm-hmm. this is what I'd like to see every year as a Christmas special. This sort of story because it's just so much fun. Mm. Well, at the time, everyone compared it to so it's a it's the the getting getting a game together thing was very much a bit of a good man goes to war. I think mm-hmm. people made that comparison. Oh, I, I forgot that was the year before. Oh, that was, that, yeah, right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> mm, I'm going to be the one that's going to be, or possibly I don't know. Paul, you do you want to? Oh, I think it's I think it's terrific. But uh, okay. um, and I'm not don't really need to damn it with faint praise. I mean. Mm. Yeah, at the time, I suppose it seemed like an example of Chibnall, who <laughs> has never seemed to me to have a very distinctive style of his own. It seemed a good example of him pre- trying to fit in, trying to do mm. a Moffat, in the mm. same way that the Beast Below felt like Moffat trying to do a Russell. But anyway, yeah. that's what mm-hmm. it seemed like. And it's not until watching after the last couple of years where Chibnall has ever done anything remotely like this again. And now it seems like a presage of some tricks he will use quite a lot later on when he wants to get a bit more vim and pace into his latter day stories the ones that I alone yeah, <laughs> from his own and, hmm. yeah it's a lot of fun and it's and it seems some of the choices seem a bit gratuitous I'll have a bit of that and a bit of that and a bit of that but they've they mesh together nicely in my opinion I might be able to justify that more later on hmm. they don't scream these things are not all belong in the same story and indeed that seems to be part of the fun he seems to have his cake and eat it. Seems to be part of the fun that there's so much going on. It's almost like, was he given the title "Dinosaurs on a Spaceship" or, um, or what? Or just I imagine so. And it, you could almost imagine his mind going, "Okay, that's random. If this, mm. if I'm, I'll roll with that, I'll throw in a few more things that shouldn't be there, rather than trying to fight mm. against the randomness." 
have inherited. Well, it's, it's the snakes. It's the influence of snakes on a plane, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And I think in terms of you know the name, and then on top of that, I believe the mill. The mill were agitating. They, they said we'd like to do. We can do some good dinosaurs off the back of a lorry. <laughs> 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 they obviously were keen to do dino- dinosaurs in Doctor Who. Yeah, so I'm not sure whether the spaceship was part of the brief as well. In some ways, it feels like a natural fit to, with um, Chibnall having done the series' previous mm. Silurian story. Obviously, I guess you, if you go dinosaurs, you think of Silurian connection and so on. You say that you say that, but I remember at the time being quite surprised and pleased in a good way when the Silurian element turned up. Mm. It hadn't occurred mm. to me. So that's a minor twist, stroke yeah. justification for why this is happening. Mm. It's simple and elegant. I suppose it is his, to his advantage that he's got that to lean on. The fact that Silurians, an existing Doctor Who race, are established have come from that era. If it had, if this had been entirely new elements, and it had to justify dances on the spaceship, I expect we would have come up. We wouldn't have had such a satisfying explanation, and I'd probably be saying something. Probably have my moaning hat on instead. But as it is, that happy serendipity that you start with something it's seemingly inexplicable, and then it's justified very simply, but in terms of something we already know, makes it much more satisfying for me. Go on, Charles. Yeah, I'm going to be the one that's not as in love with it as, yeah, I don't know. Probably for a very specific reason, uh, which is that I spent the last weekend at a convention, and not a Doctor Who convention, a Tetrapod Zoology convention, which I, uh, friend, called TetZoocon. It was at Bush House, and a friend of mine runs it every year. He's got a blog dedicated to Tetrapod Zoology. And he's a paleontologist. He was a science consultant on, chief scientific advisor probably, <laughs> on, um, <laughs> on the Disney Prehistoric Planet series. So having just had a weekend of people talking about how fantastic dinosaurs are and how great it is to treat them as animals, yeah, bits of this stuck in my craw when they start just treating them as monsters again, you know, and, and you know, stuff that I, I'm, yeah, that was that was the moment where where my goodwill cracked was when Amy Pond said the sooner they go extinct again, the better. That, I mean, what? I would... I'm sorry, that's just such a horrible, there that, horrible line. As a, yeah, that should have been cut. It didn't fit. Mm. It didn't fit with the rest of the story and how that got through. If that was Chibs as well, then it's kind of a sign <laughs> mm. that he's a bit of a hack and isn't thinking from one line to the next. I mean, it does feel it does feel like somebody trying to echo that sort of Moffat cynicism and hard mm. hard edge, doesn't it? Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of That's... that with the yeah, and it, it felt to me also that like there's a a lot of Moffat style sex reverse sexism in there as well in the dialogue, and and the innuendo mm. and I don't know I don't you know I like Rupert Graves is that Rupert Graves it is Rupert Graves isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I like I like him as an actor, but yeah, the the part, the big game hunter. I just yeah, I thought what, why, what's, what's yeah, what's he doing? Yeah, it's it's not so much what's he doing there because I can see there's a there's a part there's a place in the story for there to be a gun toting yeah, someone who can sort of yeah tackle big game. But although the doctor doesn't mm. know that's what he's up against, though, does he? No, She's but the thing is, a the, a the um, doctor doesn't know what he's up against before he goes there. B why would the doctor be friends with someone like that? I that don't, strikes I, me as someone who's absolutely the antithesis of what the doctor 
I cannot disagree with these points. I can just mm. say that they didn't ruin it for me. No, because okay. the whole thing yeah. is quite pleasantly superficial. Yeah, it does start to fall apart if you pick at it. Mm. And uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could argue that's an important point. Why on earth would Doctor be friends with Big Game Hunter? Mm. Midway through this story, he reveals that he has stun guns and can, mm. which is a you know sort of on the same level as the twist that. It, He's actually a photographer. You know, if they'd revealed he shoots animals with a camera, that would, it would yeah. have all groaned and gone, oh. But at least it would have made sense of why the dog's friends with him. Mm. It's still, it's that typical sort of Chibnall. The, the, I was going to say, the morality in this is a bit clearer and less A than it often is in a lot of mm. Chibnall stories, like the bloody spider Trump one, like yeah. him famously. There aren't as many moments where... It does seem to be a bit more clearly good and evil. But yes, there are, mm. around the edges there are weird things. Yeah. Why is the Doctor friends with this man? If we can imagine, we can infer reasons why he might be, but why mm. all isn't as it seems, but it's not cl- clarified for us, so you have to sort of squint a bit, I think. I think uh, it, it feels like, and yeah, I, know I, don't, I don't want to put massive holes in it, but the thing is, I've heard the crit- critique before that, oh, it's a bit convenient that and it's it doesn't really apply so much to Nefertiti because because okay she happens to be she happens to function as a sort of MacGuffin when Solomon realizes she's a historical personage of note but that that part that could have been anyone so it's not too much of a coincidence that the Doctor has Nefertiti along for the ride but the fact that he happens to the one the one that really then stood out to me was the fact that um yeah you need these well, not isomorphic controls, but you've got these. Yeah. These the controls of the ship require require two people that have got a direct, direct genetic link, and he happens to have accidentally picked up Robbie's dad <laughs> at the start as well. It's just it felt like there's too many. But yeah, I'm I'm criticizing it on that level. There's it's, two ways. But, of, there's two ways mm. of looking at that. The instinctive way of criticizing it is, or how gratuitous that he's picked up. Rory's dad just to solve the problem of the isomorphic controls. When of course it's the other way around. He's trying to justify what he wants to have Robbie's da- uh, Rory's dad as a character, and he's trying mm. to justify that by giving him a reason. Yeah. Mm. I don't know what I'm where I'm going by that. Are they equally bad? Mm. One of them is more obvious, and the sort of thing that people will go, "Hang on a minute." Mm. Check. You well, know, I, 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 off I, isomorphic controls. Yeah. If that had been something set up at the beginning, and then Rory's dad got brought into the story, then we would have all cried foul. Yes. Yeah. The way uh, Rand it's yeah. done, ju- yeah. coming mm. up with the justification for, for, for the inclusion of a character that you want uh, to have in yeah. it, I find personally less. I think it's less noticeable, and I find it less egregious. So it's interesting. Uh, you see, I'd have. I'd and I, and I'm, so, sorry, I'm, again, it's the <laughs> it's the thing of it's the thing of not making it, yeah, you know, not criticizing it for the story that it's not. But it strikes me that you could have set it up so if the Doctor had a bit more foreknowledge, then he could have gone off and collected Videl. Yeah, on, yep, you could have done with with the with the knowledge, and if he'd had the, if he'd had, if he'd also had had knowledge of what kind of spaceship he was dealing with, and that that might be an issue, then you could have had, you could have had quite a bit of fun with the idea that he had accidentally kidnapped Rory's dad, whilst in fact then then having the reveal later on yep. that that it was entirely that's, intentional, and that, that would is, have been that would have threaded the needle quite nicely. That's the Moffat version. Oh, have had, okay. I've got your it'd, dad here, Rory. It'd have had you, yeah, Moffat would have had yeah. us all thinking we're one step ahead of the writer all the way through, mm. and at the end there'd have been a little flashback montage to, to mm. yeah. show all that off. 
don't forget the the critical role Brian Rory's dad played with the golf balls and um, his, his <laughs> yes. um, pulled out trowel as well. Yeah, that's a great. Done... That's a great little gag. Yeah, the ball mm. thing works. That's nice. I could have done without the attempt to expand upon it by saying that they were covered in vegetable matter, which would appeal to the dinosaurs. That is so mm. clunky that I think you could yeah. just take take that off and leave it that they like chasing after balls. That yeah, dinosaurs yes, like exactly. like yeah. kittens or dogs, and then we. Mm. Charles, just one clarification. That convention you went to, I, I always thought paleontology was a study of buckets. It's Christmas Christmas season, Dan, folks. Classic Dan mm. joke, yes. <laughs> what did you say? It was a tetra pack. Tetrapodzoology, tetzucon. I saw a cup of tea being spluttered almost there. <laughs> it's a strange weekend devoted to people talking about fossils, might... natural history, paleo arts, animal, living animal behaviour, bit of cryptozoology. All Sounds sorts great, of but you might as well have said telebiogenesis for all I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, I know so little about that. <laughs> Richard, have we had your thoughts yet? Well, oh, look, yeah. I, I. We haven't shut up yet. I guess I, I, I'm going to have to I guess, sort of say the same thing that Simon said about the last story, which is my opinions coming into this were having seen this story precisely once, I wasn't fond of it. And then I watched it today and I thought, ooh, I quite like this. And then actually I kept going with it and I kept quite liking it. And then I was still rather liking it at the end. So partly that's to do with the expectations. But I think also maybe to do with how it seemed at the time. I think I think perhaps two things happened. One was I was thrown by this whole sort of, you know, movie of the week thing. And I guess I was perhaps thinking of deeper stories, but actually of course what they were thinking of was blockbusters. So, you know, so basically don't worry about the plot, just, you know, enjoy the spectacle. Blockbusters and slutty titles. Yeah. <laughs> So that's one thing. I think the other thing that I that I didn't like first time round was the deliberate execution, I suppose, that the Doctor gives to mm. Solomon. Mm. But this time round, I think Solomon earns his execution. I mean, he, he's a, he's a mm. really nasty character. I mean, he he reminds me, actually, going back to, again to the sixties of that kind of nasty character, the the the, the fur trader is he in Keys of Marinus <laughs> or the mm. Or, or um, El Akir, perhaps in the Crusade. Yes. You know the, the sort of nasty, lascivious way that he's mm. he's treating the women, and you know, of course, genocide with with the Salurians, although we don't see that. So I, I'm not sure I particularly like the Doctor deciding that that someone needs to die. But but I, I you know, of all the people that he's met along the way, Solomon kind of deserves it. So it's not. It doesn't feel quite as, as egregious as perhaps the first time round. It's funny that. There's one minor rewrite away from just the villain walking into his own trap, which is the traditional mm. Doctor Who way mm. of, of taking, absolving the Doctor of the responsibility. Mm. So they must, everybody must have agreed to let Shivers go down this path and have the yeah. Doctor to be slightly more active in mm. nobbling David Bradley. Hmm. But, you know, he was a rotter. Was all that humour we've been talking about? Is that was that their way of deflecting from the, you know, what the Doctor called the genocide of the the Silurian, Silurian crew? That is pretty horrible, isn't it? And, yeah. And yeah. Um, mm. bumping off the 
bumping off the dinosaurs and threatening to kill Rory's dad and so on. Yes. I just think it balanced everything nicely. The fun and the constant of being showered with new, exciting things. <laughs> All right, it is a bit like, you know, waving shiny things in front of a baby and say, look, 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 just trying to distract you. But it's it works. And then the switch to the really nasty villain, but without without wallowing in that. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of the Chibble Silurian story the year year before. Mm. And I thought that one tonally that seemed all over the place and well there's all sorts of things I could say about that but tonally it was a bit depressing you know mm. and it, I just was I think here having moments getting to the point much more quickly this is a really nasty piece of work and he does some, nuts, some big nasty things is more effective than wallowing at length in moral complexities that you don't quite get to grips with you know, you know what I mean yeah so mm. What was the other thing? Right, while I remember, mm-hmm. <laughs> so what I could have said earlier under the heading of Chibnall Tropes, as soon as I realised we were going to have, as soon as everyone meets up on the ship and we've got six people wandering mm. around, the Doctor with his two companions and and three other randos, mm. I thought, oh God, we're back here again. We're back in <laughs> yeah. season whatever yeah. it was, um, 10, 11? Mm. 11. 11. Yeah. But I thought it was going to be disastrous. But luckily, fairly soon afterwards, he splits them into two teams of three. And, and ten minutes later, I was praising him for the <laughs> cleverness. You have you split your story. You have to have two paths. So in the old yeah. days, where the Doctor and Companion would, might split up with some people they'd met along the way, he'll, he's, very, he's given them both... Well, it becomes more clear when... It really becomes explicit when Amy says refers to Nefertiti and Ripper Graves as her, her companions. Mm-hmm. So she is the main companion gets to be surrogate doctor in that new mm-hmm. series way so she has her own two companions the doctor has has a different two whoever they are, and it and it was very nicely balanced and very efficient completely ludicrously contrived why does the doctor bring two other people with him and then go and get rain but who i don't care because what we get works and they're, they're the right balance and mm. although having said that Amy's crew don't actually achieve that much in the story. I was waiting for the big justification of them going off on their own side quest, and I'm not, I can't quite remember if that's ever really paid off before they uh, they all mm. get reunited again. But whatever. And it shouldn't work, should it? Throwing in all these random things, and just when you think it can't get any more random funny robots, but I much prefer that to not enough ideas or the wrong mm. ideas. It's tricky. I've, I've forgotten about the funny robots as well. and, and they, don't, uh, yes. they don't get any... Um, What's the word? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a clever word. They didn't get any... Uh... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're funny, but they're also not very nice, and they don't get redeemed. They don't get any redemption is the word that I could mm. think of mm. at 11 o'clock. Yeah. yeah. Which you could, I don't know, maybe that's bad storytelling. Perhaps you just ran out of things the funny ropes would do and just <laughs> had to uh, dispense with them. It's all done a lot worse in the Doctor Widow wardrobe thing, Ooh. you know, with with Bill Bailey and somebody or other. I mean, at least with this, you know, there are comedians, but yeah, then it's not really played up too much. This will probably make our science officer's head blow off, Charles. But um, I loved the wave power for the, oh, yes. the spaceship arc yeah. as well. I thought that was very clever. Yes, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure. We'll, we'll put that down as a pretty idea, but I'm not quite, <laughs> not quite sure how that's going to work in AM. <laughs> or zero gravity environment? 
Uh, you, I suppose I'll, yes. I'll get me that, trying to think of the, the whole thing is again. a zero gravity. Well, I was just thinking thinking about the fact there's a sealed unison. Yes. How are you gonna? Yeah. I feel, like that, I feel like that sort of thing's become a bit of a cliche by that point, having a, a spaceship so big that you can have a, a a deck that seems like the real world. But it's not the mm. but the thing it's not the last time we see that we get that in the in the big old Mondays and Sideman story, mm. don't we? So um, Yes, yeah. And is that the same old beach where we saw Rose get exiled? <laughs> it certainly looks like it. Isn't <laughs> it the Gower Pennies? No, what, what did they call Bad Wolf Bay, isn't it the Gower? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Don't know where the bad, bad wolf probably bought it by now. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that's that's the only thing about that, that that's somewhat troubling is is as you say we've had we've had that beach twice with mm. Rose. We've had another beach with Matt Smith in the previous series with the Angel Two Parter. Mm. It, it sort of feels a, a wee bit repetitive, but you know, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's hardly the end of the world. I was more troubled by the non furry pterodactyls, but again, that's. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Did you see Jurassic World Dominion where we finally got furry dinosaurs? No, oh, no. I haven't. Oh. No. Yeah. Well, you should. Sam Neill and Laura Dern and uh, that other chap are in it. Yes. Yes. It's all right. Watch the extended version. There's more of them in it. Yeah, okay. But dinosaurs are the bad guys, so you won't like that. Mm. <laughs> I quite like also that Nefertiti in the escapes from Solomon. She's got some agency in it. It's oh, yeah. not, she's mm. not just sort of rescued. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yep, yep. Efficient storytelling. It may yeah. be the first time we've seen her doing anything like that, but at least it's not completely out of the blue. We we're ready to believe that she can get a bit handy. <laughs> we we see a little bit of that in the, at, at the very start. At the very start, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hang on. Yes. So I'm just I'm just having flashbacks now. Did they get the wrong? Did they say, who did they say she was, her husband was? Did they say Eamon Hotep? Something Could like be. that. Wasn't she Mrs. Akinarson? Was she? As in rings off. You'll probably tell me that he's got the date wrong as well. Uh, I don't know what. Um... <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a bit of a blunder. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Non-fairy pterodactyls, and they've got Nefertiti married to the wrong pharaoh. Oh my goodness! Shh. Moffat must go. Chidmore, <laughs> Chidmore must go. Yeah. Oh, well, wouldn't be the first time. Dudley must go. Dudley must go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So there's a connection. We both, we both got mm. usually egregious historical blunders. What about <laughs> Roy's dad then? Ah, see that. Go on. Oh no! Well, you you were going to say something interesting. No, not really. No, I was, I was just I was just going to say that I expected him at some point to be saying, "Today I will I will mostly be flying a spaceship." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is he? Uh, has he already been the, the Weasley father by this point? Is he well known from Harry Potter? Yes. Mm. Yeah. And is he just cast because he's Brummy? Is Rory from the Midlands? Well, they come from Gloucestershire, don't they, or something? Do they? When you first see them, but I mean that's he, not to I, say I think that I'm getting confused because I, I know that Arthur Darville's from Birmingham because I saw him at a convention in Birmingham and he said right. I'm from Birmingham. <laughs> so I'm now I'm now wondering if I that's wrapped clear. this whole thing up in my head and thought mm. assumed that uh, Rory himself and all the I was going to say ponds I was going to do a doctor's joke. Mm. Well, anyway, it's, it seems inevitable that it should be um, it should be Mark Williams, doesn't it? Mm. Almost the extent that they might 
I would expect to see that in the script. Mm. Suggestion, get Mark Williams. Yeah. You'll be able to. He's jolly good, yeah. Yeah. But, although it's just another thing, random thing to throw in, and it, it has the interesting effect of making him... <laughs> it's the first time that either Rory or Amy, in my opinion, have felt real. Real. Mm. In terms of having a real family. We've seen Amy's family, but I didn't believe for a second that her parents are real. Didn't believe any of it. So this finally, quite late in the day, we got something that grounded one, one by extension, both of them. Mm. Seemingly no, nothing to do with the showrunner. Just one of his writers threw this idea in there. And it um, became quite a big part of the, their lore, didn't it? Well, with the famous... They bring him back once, and then we, we, there's the famous non-missing, non-filmed, deleted scene from... Yes, yeah. The Angel, epilogue to the Angel story. Interesting how that all that came about. So, although he's funny, I think it added quite a lot in retrospect to you know, the whole setup. Yeah, but it does give somewhere else for does give somewhere else for Rory to to go, as it, or some some other source of frustration, etc. As opposed to constantly sort of butting up against the Amy Amy being Superwoman, that's that aspect of it. Hmm. Well, obviously, it's a you know, running gag. He's he's been the he's been the comic foil to to the Amy and the Doctor duo. Time, so I guess it's yeah, it's nice to give him something else to yeah, give Rory something else to do, and so I know I'm still not I'm not entirely on board with this idea that we have here of the, the doctors just dropping back to them at you know at intervals, and this has been ten months since the last episode, hasn't it? Yeah, supposedly, and I'm, I'm I don't know. This whole idea of the doctor sort of dropping in and out of the companions' lives and, them and being is there, it, it is it established that he's trying to wean them off him as Amy suspects? Is that Established later on, but that's what he's up to. Uh, or I can't remember. I'd have to. Um, when does he? The... Oh no, because he he drops them. He drops them completely at the end of um. Six is it? It's yes, yeah, but not in um in yeah, whatever it is, whatever the one is before before closing time. Right. Yeah. Doesn't he? Because then he goes off. Oh, it's what? Uh, it's at the end of the hotel one, isn't it? Yes, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. The hotel, yeah, the god complex. That's when, yeah. that's because... when he appears to drop them off. Yeah. And then he's more of a occasional fixture, I think, pretty much. I can't remember what happens in um, everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, well, I think every, I think everything I think yeah, everything whatever. happens everywhere all at once. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know. I know I know everyone's wearing eye patches, but I can't remember whether that actually affects anything to do with. These these versions of Amy and Rory, whether they're the real thing or but we're going to have to do that episode one day because we spent far too long in other unrelated. Yeah, I'm definitely trying to know what happens. Yes. I mean, I mean, we've done everything else that has an eye patch in it, so I suppose mm. it's inevitable. Yeah. Oh, maybe we could do we could do Inferno and that as Ooh. the eye, as as an eye patch special. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to uh. go with the um. <laughs> I was I was I was just thinking oh, Armageddon Factor. There's well, yeah, possibly. Ends of ends of lengthy, convoluted. Well, not not in the not in the case of <laughs> the key to time season. Um, yeah. But yeah. Any any other thoughts about this that you haven't had a, a go at yet? I mean, we, we, I guess we keep we seem to be saying that it's it's atypical Chibnall, Chibnall and yet typical Chibnall at the same time. <laughs> There's, we don't know how much effort Moffat's had on this. There's probably there's probably quite a lot of little gags that he's inserted, mm. but equally there's stuff that you can sort of see 
in, in the last few seasons of Ch Chibnall as well. So, yeah, they've both got their fingers on it, no doubt. It's tricky. It reminds me of, and this is damn it with faint phrase, definitely, but it reminds me a bit, I think we said it when we did Curse of the Black Spot, that it reminds me a bit of, you know, or, you know my suspicion is it's a, there's a little bit of a writer saying, oh, I'm writing for Stephen Moffat. He likes to do these things, so I will... Yeah, so I know I'll put yes. together a story with all of these things. But on the other hand, we know that, yeah, Chimna was given at least some of that hit list to, to work from. Mm. And I don't think it's as egregiously following them off at template as as Black Spot, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm just doubtful about whether all those zingers are, are Chibnall's style. Mm. I mean, the biggest thing it does that isn't Moffaty is that it has a proper villain. Nothing, it's, mm. not, it's not technology gone wrong. Yeah. This is a real sod at the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. and as you said earlier, more more so than in quite a lot of stuff that we got <laughs> when Chibnall was running running the show. At least in terms of okay, let's have a let's have someone fairly yeah un, un irredeemable. That's the word mm. I'm after. Yeah. If if we were going to talk about you know themes and similarities between the two, I've got balls. We've got a cricket cricket ball in <laughs> Fort Doomsday and the golf golf balls in. Uh, I think you've really you've got to the crux of it there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 they're both they're both three. Uh, oh yeah, they're both three companion stories. Mm -hmm. You know, Adric Teagan and Nessa with Amy, Rory, and Brian. Mm -hmm. And you know, as we've said, Chibnall's going to return to that pattern on a number of occasions. Mm. And I guess the set that the, there's a central villain of the piece in both stories and they're really kind of out for their own they're na sort of nakedly out for their own gain I suppose hmm. in, each, in each case yes Monarch himself has definitely gone up the rank my rankings of strong villains he comes across quite well could have been better hmm. there's the dragon dance in Water um, Doomsday and there's a Stegosaurus ride in uh, Dinosaur on the Spaceship tenuous I, uh, but, you know it's, 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 it's a big lizard in each is it <laughs> very good? And and the Rankleosauruses, weren't they? Mm, yeah. Oh, were they pteranodons or not ter pterodactyls? Yeah, it's pink for your actual pterodactyl. Uh. Probably, yeah. No, I, I don't know which I don't know which one they were. To be honest, mm. I I don't know how the hell anyone knows what a dinosaur looks like anyway from a load mm. of old bones. Yeah. I need to go to your convention, Giles. Yeah. <laughs> Both of these spaceships are heading to Earth, mm -hmm. and 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 not necessarily all that welcome when they arrive. And there's a countdown. I mean, admittedly, it's a stronger countdown. Six hours here, yeah. where, and four days rather randomly in Fall to Doomsday, yes, which, which never which gets is... accelerated. It's four days away mm. from Doomsday, and then nobody mentions it again. It never gets a three to one. It never gets mentioned again, does but, it? Yeah. I feel that like recently I've seen some confusion. People saying, "Why on earth is it called Fort of Doomsday?" It's never explained. <laughs> mm. I, I was waiting for, to be bemused by my, bemused by that myself, and it seemed pretty bloody obvious. It is yeah. strange when it's the when it's the title of the entire series and it comes up on the comes up at the start of the credits on every episode, <laughs> but they only mention it once in as a throwaway line in episode one, and nobody reca recaps it I mean, at any point. <laughs> Terror of the Urbankans, or what? what's wrong with that? <laughs> what were they drinking at that? Uh, oh, Tokyo, Tokyo, the countdown. Sorry, one one other niggle though in uh, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. The fact that when they get through to the Indian Space Control, you know, <laughs> she says the, the ship is entering the atmosphere, 
we're going to fire missiles now and they'll they'll strike the ship in half an hour. No, right. <laughs> so hang on, it's, it's entering the atmosphere <laughs> and it's going to take half an hour for your missiles to reach it and then you and then you get the exterior shots that show it clearly um, quite yes. a long way from Earth. And like, you know, the oh atmosphere. I mean, being, being charitable, hmm. the exosphere goes up to about 10,000 uh, miles. What actually happens to it at the end? Spaceship. No. It veers. They they manage to change course. And, uh, oh right. Oh, and now we're. And then, then they, pres- and then they go and use the dinosaurs to presumably populate a planet called Siluria. If we. Oh, was from ju- the postcard. Judged okay. by the postcard. Right. Good. I well, assume that's the idea. Room for a sequel there. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I know. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I was daydreaming about how they could bring back the original Silurian design. I think if we ever see Earth reptiles again, they should quietly um, replace them with the original design, upgrade, updated like they did the Sea Devils, or possibly even better. Don't bother explaining it. But mm. um, when we see Silurians off Earth in the future, like they were in the New Adventure books, you know, they were part of, mm. we'd all made friends and they were part of our happy spacefaring world in centuries mm. to come, they could be the new design. There doesn't need to be any real. <laughs> I just feel that, I feel that that feels right. Hmm. The scary, monstrous ones in Dawn of Time look more alien, and in the future, when we're all getting on, they look a bit more humanoid. Hmm. It feels right, even though there's no logical or scientific justification for it. <laughs> so, if, hmm. if anybody wants to take me up on that, hmm. do I can't stop you. I'm with you, Paul. That's a good call. There's probably some pseudo-scientific thing to be said about the fact that um the fact that yeah doesn't it in cold blood. Doesn't he refer to the Silurians as Homo reptilia? And again, up. and again here, they had oh, a chance to fix. Had a chance to fix it, yeah. like they did, like they did with the old Eocenes thing. Yes. The, <laughs> they did, what is it? it? Should be Reptilia sapiens? Is that it right? It should be Reptilia sapiens, probably, or something like that. If you want to hmm. say Reptilia is your genus name, but yeah, Homo, Homo reptilia implies there's something like the Neanderthals hmm. are to us, which given their their appearance. And and the fact that some of them have ov- obvious chest protrusions, um, perhaps they are more. <laughs> perhaps they are mammalian cos- cosplaying mammals. Yeah. Richard, were you still only were you still only getting started on your links? No, they no, were, they were no, coming no, thick no. and fast <laughs> before we derailed it. Uh, I, I was wondering if you ha- if any of you had any more links. Oh. I mean, really, the only other thing I've got was just the the fact that apparently in Fort of Doomsday there's lots of people, but it turns out that there's only one life form other than the Doctor and I suppose similarly with this there's there's not very I mean there's the dinosaurs but of I suppose of the um, intelligent life somebody's going to bristle with uh, uh, on that definition has, has been popped out of the airlocks yes so, uh, true yeah. but I think, that's, I think I'm out of, of, of links after that shall hmm. I shall I wind the thing up now while we're still ahead if, if we are in fact ahead Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, look. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Something Who. And if you've enjoyed what we've done, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And uh, if you've liked this one, there's a whole raft of other episodes for you to listen to while you're waiting for us to record the next one. Also, if you if you like something, who please tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, your neighbours, and random strangers that you meet. But if you hate us, don't tell us all. And 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 what are you doing still listening to this? If you do hate us, anyway. Thanks again to our contributors, Paul, Giles, and Simon, 
and I guess we're going to say goodbye now. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for your contributions, and and uh, look forward to seeing you again. Hopefully, not quite so long into the future as it as it has been since the last one. But yeah, cheers. Bye. 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 Cheerio. Click stop recording. Yeah? You're not getting any funny out <laughs> end credits banter from me. <laughs> Do we ever? <laughs> wow. I, yeah. I set him up, you knock him in. No, sadly, I just stopped recording. So, so Richard, if you want that, you'll have to patch it from there. <laughs> yeah. Patch it from the recording. I deleted all my um, files. I had all the old files. Oh, Bits, and I suddenly thought my drive is getting a bit full up. What can I just yeah. zero room? Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, and old redundant podcast files because I don't suppose anyone really wants the finished version, let alone several hundred hours of just me talking to myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll turn out now, of course, that it's absolutely vital stuff. It'd be as bad as um, that bloke throwing out all his pneumatic or having all his pneumatic oh, tapes thrown away. <laughs> Where's that gone? I've saved this and it's gone somewhere. Weird. <laughs> Where's the strike terror into any podcast editors? Yeah. Oh, It'll be somewhere. I'm not entirely clear where I've stored mine for that matter. Here's a clip from my other podcast. Emily? What's that big pile of foliage doing on your desk? Oh, that's specially for January. Why do you ask? Uh, nothing really. It just seems a bit out of place. New year, new me. Every day I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I see, I think. Is that a new high-definition camera you've got, Richard? Oh, oh, yes, it is. Well spotted. Any reason for the upgrade? Well, it's my New Year's resolution. Oh, dear. <laughs> that's terrible. Anyway, on with the show. Hello and welcome to If It's Hurting, It's Not Working. And if you can believe it, we've reached episode five already, which is all about New Year. So we often like to see the new year as an opportunity for a fresh start. And that can mean a big change in our lives or some tweaks to make it work better for us. New Year, I guess, offers us a good opportunity, both in our lives and in our work, to have a fresh start. And I guess... One of the reasons why we find that really useful is because it's easy to get stuck in particular patterns. I've got a couple of New Year's resolutions that I've, I've thought about, and they're both similar in that they're both to do with focus, but they're slightly different in, in terms of the emphasis. I don't particularly make New Year's resolutions. I make pledges to myself of things, little things that I want to get done because life's so busy these days. So I try to pick one that's for myself and then one that's for work. You can go in and, and still do that. You haven't missed your opportunity where you can just have a little sit down and a think, but just don't procrastinate too much. <laughs> <laughs> Very nicely put.